We are in a series called Faith in Action. We started a couple of weeks ago. We looked at Gideon last week with Matt Minard, which was awesome, and just getting a chance to hear about that. And I got a chance to go out to our sister church in Milford and speak to our brothers and sisters there. They send their greetings, and, um, and I also got to try out this message. It went okay out there, so I tweaked some stuff. We're going to do all right here. Uh, Abraham, I'm only joking, only joking. We're going to be looking at Abraham this morning. If you've got your Bible and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. But as we were thinking about this message or this series, really the, the idea, the big overarching idea, is that God has us all on different paths as we walk through life. We have, we're on different paths. We'll walk different paths throughout the course of our life. But what he does consistently is he asks us to, to trust in him along, this, along the way. And he gives us all the same promise. So we end up, even though we're walking a different path, we have the same promises from God. And then he gives us himself, his person. And that's our reward as we put our faith and trust in him. As we walk through this life, we have a lot of opportunities to to have our, our faith play out in action. And really what we truly believe plays out in front of us. And so sometimes we're battling within ourselves to, uh, to really give our hearts fully to the Lord. And it looks different ways for different people. And he puts different obstacles in our paths on purpose for us to be able to continue to trust him more and more all of the time. So that's what we're looking at, faith in action. And again, we'll be in, in Genesis chapter 22. But I want to ask you this question before we turn to that scripture in Genesis 22. What do you think of, or even how do you feel? <laughs> think about this in, in your head. How do you feel, what do you think of when you hear the word test? <laughs> Someone reacted audibly. <laughs> yeah, usually not great, right? It's, it's, depending on your phase of life, it represents something. For some people, it gives you a little anxiety because you think about school. You're like, oh, I'm going to get tested. For some people, it might give anxiety for other reasons. It could be medical tests. If you're an engineer, you just like test all the time. Like that's it. Uh, that's, that's all of life. Testing is life. But um, if you're in medicine, it gives you a certain sense, so like maybe of discovery. Like we all have different reactions to this idea of test. A lot of times, it's not necessarily a great feeling or a great sense that it gives us, but yet it's something that's very useful. Um, I, I looked up what the definition of the word test is, and it means the means by which the presence, quality, or genuineness of anything is determined. The means by which the presence, quality, or genuineness of anything is determined. And so as we walk through life, what we're going to see today is there are times where our faith is tested. And Abraham's faith is tested in a big way in Genesis 22. A big test. And it's trying to determine the presence the quality or the genuineness of Abraham's faith. How, how committed is Abraham to God and what he's asking him to do? The spoiler of it is I think the, really the, the theme verse for the life of Abraham comes to us from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which says Abraham, Abram believed the Lord's before his name was changed to Abraham. Abram believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, credited it to him, Abram, as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's a theme verse from the life of Abraham. He was not perfect. There were some tests that he failed. But ultimately, the, the thing that really defined and summarized his life is that he, gen, he genuinely did put his faith and trust overall in the Lord and believed him, even when he couldn't see the full story, even though he, he didn't know what, how things were going to play out. And he's a great model of the faith that we see throughout 
Scripture, we, we see how obviously his story and his life play out in the Old Testament. He's used as, as an example there. But his, his name is mentioned in the New Testament. I was interested by this because it was almost a surprise how much. Because I knew he was mentioned a lot, but I didn't know this much. His name is mentioned 76 times in the New Testament as a model of faith. And a lot, of, a lot of places pointing specifically to faith and the fact that our salvation comes not by our action or being good enough, but by our faith, Amen. which is seen in the way that we live our lives as it is in Abram's life, Abraham's life. And so really, he's a great model for us to look at as we think about faith in action. We see him brought up in Hebrews 11, which has really been our jumping off point as we think about um, what God is doing and, and, and what Hebrew, the author of Hebrews is trying to explain to us about faith and about what it means to walk by faith. And he lists all of these examples. We call it the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame of Faith. And uh, we see Ab- Abraham is brought up and, and he gets some considerable time there in Hebrews chapter 11, which we'll look at in a few minutes. But let's, let's stick with uh, Genesis 22 for right now as we see the, the main part of this story that we're going to be looking at this morning. It says, sometime later... God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Whew. This is a tough passage. It's actually a tough passage in the the scriptures because you're like, what is God doing? Like, what is going on here? Now, we have the benefit today of knowing that later on in the Old Testament, God forbade human sacrifice. He's like, I don't want any part of that. That's that's what a lot of idols or other gods uh, participated in was was even human or child sacrifice. And he was saying, nope, that, that that is reprehensible. That is That is not something I want any part of. And so he pushed that away. And so now we know we will never be tested the same way that Abraham was tested. Because God's revealed that now. But at this time, he hadn't revealed that. He hadn't revealed that even to Abraham yet. And God's character and who he is gets played out through scripture. Uh, We call it progressive revelation. He reveals more and more and more about himself through the pages of scripture. If you only had Genesis 1, you would know a lot about God, but you wouldn't know everything about God. And so Abraham, hearing God's voice saying this to him, has, has no real reason to contradict this and, and to doubt, uh, except the other promises that God has given him. And so he steps into this, and he hears this command, and obviously it's extremely confusing. Now, I, I love how this builds. When God's talking to Abraham, he builds and re- repeats a little bit about Isaac and who he is and what he represents to Abraham when he says, take your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac. It's this kind of building uh, intensity of just the love and and the the importance of this son that Abraham has. And it's so difficult as we think about and put ourselves in Abraham's shoes, what he must have been feeling, what this must have seemed like, and, and even questioning a little bit, as I'm sure he was at the time, why is God doing this? Why is he bringing this up? But we see the value, and, and God is essentially saying the very most important thing to you, Abraham, the most important thing or person, are you willing, are you willing to trust me with that? And he's asking us the same question today. A lot of times when our faith is tested, it involves giving over something that is extremely important to us. We were just singing in Be Thou My Vision. It's like you, you are it. You are the main thing. 
you and thou and thou only first in my heart. Right? This idea that we are, we are putting him first in our hearts. And a lot of times our testing as we walk through life involves the question, am I really first? God asking us, am I really first? Or is there something else there? And that's, in a sense, what God is asking Abraham here in this moment. Now, as we walk through life, our faith will be tested. And as in this story, it will oftentimes it will involve pain. It will involve struggle or trial or difficulty. Uh, a lot of times our testing involves that as we walk through life. Nobody avoids pain or trial or difficulty in life. Nobody avoids that. Every single person. If you're a, a believer in Jesus, you don't avoid that either. If you ever hear someone teaching that if, if you're facing a difficult time, it's because you've done something wrong. And if you were doing stuff right, you would never have a difficult time. Then run away from that teaching because it's not true. Jesus told us that we would, in fact, because we're Christ followers, we might face more struggle at times through life. But he does promise to walk through it with us. He promises to walk through by our side as we go through those times, to get us through those moments. But there are two types of pain that we can face in our life, and, and we know this um, as, as we go through life. We've, we've experienced these things. Some types of pain can be constructive, and some can be destructive. We can have constructive pain in our life and destructive pain in our life. You know that a couple of months ago, many of you know this, that um, our, our youngest, Eliza, fell. She just kind of fell. She wasn't doing anything spectacular, jumping off a building or anything like that. She was just leaning over a bike rack and lost balance and fell forward and just hit her arm weird, and it broke her arm just above the elbow, and it looked funny, which wasn't fun for anybody, um, and we rushed her to a hospital, um, and we were not on this side of town, so we went to the closest hospital, and they put it in, in like a little splint thing and tried to hold it steady, and the next day, we're, we, we were here at church, the very next day, about 12 hours later, and, um, and, and it was clearly not working. Like, she wasn't here at church, but I was. Uh, it was clearly not working. We took her to the hospital again, and this time, um, as much as it pains me to admit it at U of M, they uh, did it right, uh, and, and they, they said it. They actually had to take her into surgery. And they inserted three pins, and then they wrapped her in this cast from basically from her shoulder all the way down. And, and it's a pretty common break that happens, so you may have experienced this before. Um, but in, in the midst of this, she experienced both types of pain. The first one she experienced was destructive pain, right? Uh, she falls and she breaks something. It's not right. It's uh, disjointed. It's not in the right place. The bone is broken and separated, and it caused a lot of pain. And so that was the first thing. And for us as parents, like that whole part was really tough. You know, that was, it's really, the whole thing was really hard. But after that, it was like once the destructive pain happened, now there was some associated pain with the fixing process. She had to go into surgery. They had to take some x-rays, which required her to move the arm a little bit, things like that. And those were still very difficult as parents and as the patient to go through. But that part of the pain became necessary in order for things to be fixed and strengthened and moved on in the right direction. Even at the end, because once you get the pins inserted, then they have to come out. Like, that part wasn't fun either, but we knew as parents, we need to get you through this part because this is constructive pain. This is how, this is how we get stronger. This is how we get better. This is how we improve. We, can go th we go through different types of pain as we walk through life, and God leads us through different paths and what he tries to do is he tries to take our pain and make it constructive in our lives. Sometimes that requires us to be active participants in that process. 
Because there is a possibility of us facing pain that we can learn from, but refusing to learn from it. And deciding instead to to go ahead down the same pathway and repeat similar mistakes and not experience the constructive part of it. But he wants to test us. And when we're tested, it's always, if it's a pain test, it's always a constructive pain test. If we follow him and trust him through that process. So as as Abraham's called by God and God calls to him and says, bring me your son, your only son, the son you love. Bring me that number one thing or that thing that might threaten to be number one in your life. Do you trust me with it? I wonder what he would ask each one of us to bring to him. Which one, what he would ask each one of us to to say, will you trust me with that? Is it a relationship? Is it a career? Is it a title? Is it a position? Is it a person? What is it for us? Sometimes these are good things that we turn into the main thing and that becomes a bad thing. And sometimes we know they're bad things from the beginning. Sometimes they're hidden sin or they could be an addiction or something along those lines. But he's asking us to trust him with something that we hold on tightly to. Even when we have trouble knowing how this whole thing is going to play out. Just as a side note, though, I think it's important as we think about the testing and, and trials that we go through in life. And we, we've talked about this in the last, uh, I don't know, eight months or so, I believe. But that is that temptation it, it might come along with testing, but it never comes directly from God. Temptation is not something that God sends our way. That's always something that's either from within or from the enemy. And James tells us that when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So sometimes temptation comes in the midst of a test or a trial, but it's never sent directly from God. He's not sending us the temptation. That's happening because of our flesh, because of our weakness. It comes from inside. But what happens is we go through life. Again, we're all tested. And our faith can be tested during both trials and triumphs. I think sometimes we miss that. We look at a story like Abraham. We obviously, we see the trial part of testing. We see that happen consistently. We've experienced it probably. Just about everyone in this room has experienced some kind of testing of our faith in a difficult time. And, uh, and so we see it as it relates to our, our trials, our difficult times. But what about our triumphs? What about our triumphs? God also tests our faith in, in those good times as well, when things seem to be going well, when we're experiencing victories in life. I can remember when I was uh, younger, I played a lot of sports growing up. And uh, my dad coached some of my baseball teams when we were growing up. And I can remember um, our, our baseball team, uh, the, over the course of time that I was on the team, um, it was the Rattlers. We were green and yellow. It was great. I wore number 13. Um, but just in case you want to store that away. But the, we, we went from worst to first over the course of time that I was on that team, which was a great experience. But I can remember a key game. And I don't remember if this was a championship game or if it was a game that led into the championship game. But it was a big game. And it was a close game, and we ended up winning it. And I remember our team was, like, super excited. Obviously, we just won the game. So as soon as the last out was made, everyone's throwing their gloves up in the air, swarming each other, and there was a dog pile involved in there somewhere, you know. We were just going berserk. And what we didn't do was go and shake hands and congratulate the other team. Like, we, didn't, we just completely forgot about that part. And I can remember um, in the midst of that, my dad getting the attention of the team and in a corrective, directive sort of way, getting us over to do the right thing at the end of that game. Even though we were excited and it was a big win, he wanted us to win with grace. 
And so as, as you're growing up, you know, we learn a lot of things from team activities and different things like that. You know, we want to learn to work with other people. We want to learn how to lose gracefully or with dignity and win gracefully as well. And so that was, that's part of what we, we try to teach children growing up. And in the same way, that's what God teaches us. Sometimes we're, our faith is tested when we go through a, a loss, a difficult time. Sometimes our faith is tested by how do we handle the good times? How do we handle victory? How do we handle something that feels like a win or feels like life is going the way we would want it to go? Because a, that's a, the other side of the coin of testing. We see this happen with God's people, Israel, when they're preparing to go to the promised land and, and God's getting them ready, with their, their, their spiritually ready and mentally ready and all of those types of things as they think about what that's going to look like. He says this to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 12. He says, otherwise, when you eat and you are satisfied and you build fine houses and you settle down and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold, they increase and all you have is multiplied. So in other words, you're win after win, you're going to the championship game. Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his, his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So he's saying, I'm sending you into your promised land you're, you're going you're gonna to experience all sorts of different things, but if you, when you experience, by God's grace and his providence, when you experience good times, when you experience wealth, when you experience prosperity, don't forget that I'm the one behind that, God says. Because it's in those times, often, that our hearts can grow, grow proud, that we can forget to win with grace and dignity, and we can become self-centered and forget about God, that he is the provider, even when things seem to be going well. And a lot of times, people who, who have had a, been dealt, I don't know, an easier hand, or they feel like they have all that they need, it can be harder for them to sense their, their true need for God. And therefore, he remains distant to them. And so it's important for us, because we do live probably in, in one of the most prosperous times and places in all of human history, that we remember that it's God who provides for us in the midst of that. And sometimes he steps in and reminds us of that uh, through little things that we can't control just because we have our ducks in a row, just because we have what we feel like we need to be, to be secure at times, uh, financially or otherwise. He says, no, I'm the one who's provided this for you, and you still need to put me first, and this is still a, try, a test of your faith, in a sense. So we see our faith can be tested during both trials and triumphs, and, and with Abraham in this particular story, it's, it's relating to trials. Verse 3, let's pick up in the story, it says, early the next morning, so God's reached out, he said, hey, come bring me your son as a sacrifice, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. 
Abraham immediately obeys. He, he, he leaves on this journey the very next day. It's the same like if you're going on a long trip, you don't leave in the evening, you try to leave in the morning because you're going to have to stop overnight once or twice or maybe three times. And, and so in the same way, and this is even more important because they didn't have like the Motel 6 off to the side of the road, they had to set up a camp and it could be dangerous. And so they want to make sure they reduce the amount of times, amount of nights as part of travel. So Abraham is obeying immediately. God calls him, says, here's what you need to do. You need to take your son on this journey. You need to trust uh, me with him. And will you do it? And he says, yes. And the very next morning he wakes up and he heads off on this trip. The interesting thing is Abraham doesn't have all the answers when he does this. He does not know what's going to happen. And if you trace back the history of, of what's going on in his story, Isaac is a very important character, the central character in, in, in a sense, because God has been promising Abraham all along that he is going to turn his family into, a, into many nations, and he's going to make him great, and he's going to have more descendants and stars in the sky and all this stuff. And he's going, but it, all of that is supposed to be through Isaac, who was in and of himself, he was a miracle child. He was, Abraham and his, wife, and his wife Sarah were far too old to ha have a child at this point, but God said, you will. And they did. He was a miracle child. And so as God calls Abraham to trust him with this, he's thinking about all of the other things God has said to him before and feeling like, how can both of these things be true? And yet he does it. Here's what the author of Hebrews says to us in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham did not have explanations when he obeyed, but he did have promises. And so Abraham did not have explanations, but he still chose to trust. He chose to trust God at his word, and he walked with him, even in spite of a lack of explanations. A lot of times as we go through life, we come up on a, on a testing of our faith or a trial. Usually in the difficult times, this is what happens. We really start to go into the why. And this is natural. You shouldn't feel guilty for this. But we also have to remember, we don't always need to have explanations because we can rest on the character and the person and the promises of God and who he is and what he has done for us before and still choose to trust. This stuck with me, this quote stuck with me from Warren Wearsby as I was preparing for this message. He says, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. Whether you look at Joseph in prison, Moses in Israel at the Red Sea, David in the cave, or Jesus at Calvary, the lesson is the same. We live by promises, not by explanations. That's what we live by. We live by promises, not explanations. Again, this was, Isaac himself was the son of promise to Abraham and Sarah. And back in Genesis 17, verse 18, it says, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. All that Abraham knew was that God had made him a promise and that God had not failed him yet. 
And so he chose to trust in the midst of unknowns, in the, in the lack of explanations. He chose to trust who God is and what he says, even though he didn't have the full picture of how this was going to work out. We often ask that question, why, how, why, why me, why now? All of these different questions that we ask, and that's okay. But at the end, we have to let God's person and his promises carry us through and continue to trust him in spite of all the obstacles in our way. Back to our story, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 22. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God came through with his provision. God came through with his provision, as he always does. Sometimes we're walking through life, things go the wrong way. Um, he, wa- he carries us through, and he brings his provision in spite of it, when we, when we walk with him, when we trust in him. And this story points us to God's ultimate provision for us. Because we all have a need that's, that's deep, that runs deep, that is a need for God. And maybe you've been living life, some, we're all coming from different parts of our journey. Most of us have tried living life in various ways that bring us the fulfillment or the satisfaction or the sense of purpose or the sense of significance that we, that we feel we need as we walk through life. And we try to get that through achievement or we try to get that through, through pleasure or comfort. We try to, try, try to get that through position or power or respect from other people. It looks all sorts of different ways because, again, we're on different paths. But at the end, none of that stuff seems to land, and we come up empty. And that's because we all have the same great need to know God, to know our Creator, to know our Father. And He offers that to us through His Son. The ultimate provision is Jesus. He's the ultimate provision for us. And I just think about this story. as Abraham responds the same way when God calls him at the beginning And when he calls him at the end, he says, here I am, here I am. And God, when he calls us, he calls us sometimes on our way into trial and sometimes on our way out of trial. And our response just needs to be, here I am. And we're listening for that voice of our father. And there's a lot of similarities too between Isaac's obedience of his father, Abraham, who he trusts, and Abraham's obedience to his heavenly father, who's calling to him who he trusts. We see this walk through. But this story ultimately points us to something that will happen later. And to to help us see that, I actually brought 
I brought our family children's Bible. And I thought I would sit in this chair, <laughs> change it up, and read for you this story as it appears to us in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's called The Present. God knew that his secret rescue plan could only work if Abraham trusted him completely. God had to make sure Abraham would do whatever he asked, so a few years later, God asked Abraham to give him a present. Abraham liked giving presents to God. He gave God his animals. They were called sacrifices, and they were a way to say, I love you, to God. But this time, God didn't want a lamb or a goat. God wanted Abraham to give him something more, much more. He wanted Abraham to give him his son, his only son, the son he loved, Isaac. Put his boy on the altar and kill him as a sacrifice? How could God want him to do such a terrible thing? Abraham didn't understand, but he knew that God was his father who loved him. And so Abraham trusted him. Early the next morning, Abraham and Isaac set off. They climbed the steep, stony trail up the mountain. Isaac carried the wood on his back. His father carried the knife and the coals. Papa, Isaac said, we have everything, except we forgot the lamb for the sacrifice. God will give us the lamb, son, Abraham said. They built an altar and laid the wood on top. Abraham asked his son to climb on top of the wood. Isaac didn't understand, but he knew his father loved him. And so he trusted him. He climbed up onto the altar and Abraham tied his boy to the wood. Isaac didn't struggle or try to run away. He just lay there quietly and didn't make a sound. Everything was ready. Abraham took the knife. Tears were filling up his eyes. Pain was filling up his heart. His hand was shaking. He lifted the knife high into the air. Stop, God said. Don't hurt the boy. I want him to live and not die. I know now that you love me because you would have given me your only son. Abraham felt his heart leap with joy. He unbound Isaac and folded him in his arms. Great sobs shook the old man's whole body. Scalding tears filled his eyes, and for a long time, they stayed there like that in each other's arms, the boy and his dad. Suddenly, Abraham saw a ram caught in some brambles, the sacrifice. God had given them what they needed just in time. The ram would die so Isaac didn't have to. And so Abraham sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And as they sat there on top of the mountaintop, watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air, the stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky, God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted his people to live, not die. God wanted to rescue his people, not punish them. But they must trust him. One day someone will be born into your family, God promised them, and he will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell his people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who was he? God's son his only son, the son he loved, the Lamb of God. So we look at the story, and we can put ourselves in Abraham's shoes a lot easier than we can putting ourselves in God's shoes. And just think about, like, why, why did God allow this to happen? Why did he cause this to happen? 
And, and then I also think about it from another perspective. And I remember this from, from Brock summer camp, from doing summer camp in, with middle schoolers for so long. One of our speakers used to tell this, this exact story. And he would, he would sum it up and he would talk about the fact that in all of heaven, the moment of the crucifixion is, is God the Father turned, his, turned away from his son and he's dying on the cross. There's only one person who understood what that felt like in all of heaven. That was Abraham. And it was almost like uh, Brett would lay this out like, he, you know, as a visual that Abraham is just hugging God the Father as they both experience something that they are familiar with. Their, their son going to sacrifice. And that's exactly what he did for us. It's hard for us to imagine being in that position, but God did that for us. And he did that for you. He did that so that you could know him and have relationship with him. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus knowing that he was going to the cross, that's one of the big differences. Isaac was extremely obedient in the process, but he didn't know what the end result was going to be. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He knew what his mission entailed. And he said to his followers the night before he was crucified, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Jesus instituted this as something that we would repeat. And as we, we come to him, we come to him together in community, we celebrate something that we call communion, the Lord's Supper. And this is an opportunity for us as we think back on what Jesus did for us to reflect on that. And we're not doing anything, anything crazy here. There's, we're not creating anything new. We're just taking these elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus and we're remembering in an important way and in obedience what Jesus came and did for us. That he was a sacrifice on our behalf. And as we do this, we also are asked by Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, just look in, inside, look at our heart, look at the condition of our heart, to confess anything that we need to confess, to make sure our heart is right before him. And if you're like, I'm, I'm not really sure about this whole Jesus thing, and I haven't, you haven't started a, an individual relationship with him, then I just encourage you to either wait, or if you're ready to take that step, to take that now. It's really simple. All you need to say is, yes, I receive that gift that you offer to me that free gift of your son who died on, on my behalf on the cross so that I can receive him and receive the perfection that he's given and trade, for, trade with him for the brokenness and the sin that I have in my heart and my life. You can make that trade. You just say yes. And you ask him to be the savior and also the Lord of your life, giving you salvation and also leading you through your life. And then you, you're trying to follow him through obedience as he works in and through you. Or uh, even better, I think if, if that's where you're at, we encourage you to come talk to someone, maybe the person who invited you, anyone you've seen up here on the stage or a prayer. We're going to have prayer people in just a few minutes up front to pray for anything that you may have going on in your life. But especially if it's a question for you, I encourage you to talk to one of them as well. But now we're going to take a moment to reflect, to just ask God to search our hearts, reveal anything to us, to speak with him, have a moment of, of communion with God. And then in a sense of communion here in this room, we'll take that. You can take that whenever you're ready. Take the bread and the juice representing the body and the blood of our Savior. I'm going to pray and we'll take a moment of reflection individually.
Lord God, I thank you so much for what you have gone through for us. Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross willingly as a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, just help us now to to never take this for granted, just to remember always the depth of that sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, help us to walk with you every day in a faith that plays out in obedience. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room going through a testing of their faith, whether through a trial or a triumph, Lord, I just pray that you would help them to get through that and strengthen their faith in the midst of what they're dealing with, what they're going through. Lord, I pray that as your church, we can surround those who are going through uh, the various trials that we all will face in life. Lord, that you will give us strength to be there to support one another as well. Lord, help us to remember that this gathering, you are the center of it. Our lives individually, you are the center of them too. Help us to walk with you every day. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.